This is the Passion Lands A Lot of Team podcast, the top producing real estate team from New York City to the Hamptons. We bring you content week in and week out on all things real estate, finance, and lifestyle. Enjoy. What is good, everybody? How's it going? We are back. Me, Mike, and the kid. Paul, Paul Lacari. Lacari. <laughs> oh, man. So, last time we did this podcast, it was, what, like the first week in January-ish? Um, yeah, probably about a, well, a month ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Lots happened. Lots happened. I was in San Antonio for a wedding, and the only place I've ever been to in Texas is San Antonio, and to be quite frank, the place is kind of weird. I've been to Austin, never San Antonio. Austin's fun. It's a fun city. There's a lot of homeless people, but it's cool. It's like a college town. Yeah. Tons of bars. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you know in San Francisco, they have an app. We should actually look for it. They have an app where you can actually mark where home, where, where homeless people are pooping in the city because they have <laughs> such a... No, I'm serious. They have a serious homeless issue where... Their laws there are very liberal or something like that, and uh, they're busing in homeless people from other cities to San Francisco. Who developed this app? Was it like the city? Or was I it swear like, to God. Was it like if Elon Musk, kidding, like, we have a shitting problem. No, no, we no, need no. To- <laughs> no, no, no. Google it. It's And, and Fish and uh-huh. Shaw have both been to San Francisco in the past two months, three months. I think Fish was there like three months ago. And both of them were like, this is the most repulsive city in the world. I'm never going back here. There's literally piles of shit in the street and and didn't, homeless didn't they, people Don't everywhere. they have, didn't they, the, like, uh, the city actually create a job for people to clean that up? Like, yeah, they go, yeah. It, and by the way, I, I don't know if it still is, but at one time that was the most expensive real estate in the country. Well, it's still, well, there's a, there's a, there's a housing problem there because people can't afford the housing. I think it's. Like in that area, I think Facebook is investing like five hundred million dollars to create affordable housing for employees, mm. because it's the, the the companies can't pay the employees enough to even afford the housing in that area. I think that's is that all of California? Because I saw an article like a a couple week a week or two ago. I don't know if it was San Francisco, if it was L.A. that they changed it now. If you make like a hundred fifteen thousand dollars or less, you're considered low income. If you make like a hundred, oh make, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, dude. Apparently, LA's got a lot of a lot of homeless too. I mean, you have Skid Row, you've got you've got a lot of LA's not. From what I understand, they've been there. From what I understand, it's not exactly the safest place on the planet. From what I'm told, I don't know. Could be wrong. Um, but outside of a quick trip to Texas, which is largely flat, and in the distance, you could you know you could occasionally see. A little oil rig, and that's about as exciting as it gets, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I've never been to Dallas. I've never been to Houston. I heard Houston's dope. It's right on the Gulf there. And I heard that Dallas is, is like the real Texas, where, you, where you're where you going to find, like, the cowboys and the blonde bells and, and all the good stuff. So one of these days I'll get to, to, to Dallas. But anyone else do anything exciting or no? Or are we just hanging out in no. single-digit temperature? <laughs> Trying to find sellers and buyers for this upcoming season. Um, this podcast today, we're bringing to you, we're going to talk about getting your house ready for sale. 
kind of a, you know, a lot of people think they already know before they set out, but the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, we have been down this road so many times. We've seen so many different things. There's so many different uh, things that we could bring in regards to value to a seller who is looking to get their house on the market that quite frankly, you know, a, a house is a personal thing. It's where someone lives. So giving someone that critique uh, and and telling them that sometimes they have to declutter, depersonalize, clean the house, you know, it, sometimes it's it, because it's their personal space, they don't see it as a product that needs to be sold, which is really where we come in. So <clears throat> we got a little list here, kind of like last time. Uh, so if you're bringing your house to market as a seller, the first bullet point here is as a seller, you should learn the market a little bit. Uh, I agree with that. I think as a seller, you need to be educated. And in today's world, you can educate yourself to a certain degree, but perfect example, uh, we were on a listing appointment not too long ago where we comped out a house. We went back to Zillow, which is where someone who's selling a house would look to, to know what things in the neighborhood are selling for. To make a long story short, we found houses that were recorded on Zillow sold for $4 million. And the person in the MLS actually sold the house for like 1.45. Yeah, so data that's out there for the consumer to see to kind of educate themselves from my experience has been incredibly inaccurate and a lot of times talking to the previous brokers who sold other houses in the neighborhood for for off prices meaning if a house sold for a, a, a significant margin above where the typical homes are being sold or below for that matter there's always a story behind it um so, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Zillow is unregulated. You know, agents and homeowners can go in there and they can put in, they can list the house for sale for anything they want. Agents can claim sales and there's really no regulation to it. Uh, you can claim a sale. If, if, the, if the right sale date's not there and the right price, you can enter it yourself and mm -hmm. you just have to check a box saying that you certif certify this information is true. Meanwhile, the MLS is regulated by LIBOR, the Long Island Board of Realtors, that that is information that's actually regulated and accurate. In terms of educating yourself, it's important. It's hard for a seller to do or a homeowner to do because most times they'll go right to Zillow. And like like, I've, like we've been saying, that information's not accurate. I, I think in order to educate yourself, you should sit down with professionals and have conversations. That's the best way to educate yourself. Same way if you want to educate yourself on you know, anything, the best way is by talking to someone mm -hmm. who knows what they're talking about. You yep. can, you can read a book, right? That's a great way, but it's, you're not going to read a book on Long Island real estate. That's going to be current enough to educate you on what's happening in the market. You know, you could follow the newspaper and things like that, but just talk to an agent. It's mm -hmm. easy. Set up an appointment, talk to someone that's experienced, knows what they're doing. I think that's the best way to educate yourself, especially since the real estate market is so fluid. It mm -hmm. changes so quickly. You don't know what you're looking at, if it's current and what variables or factors played a part in it. So just talk to a professional, someone that's living it and doing it every day. I Even mean, right now, I mean, it's you could look at a house that was sold six months ago and it doesn't, you know, that's like almost not even a real comp anymore because it's changed so much in the last six months. Yep, and it's one house. I mean, mm -hmm. about you know, you don't know what the situation was. That person could have, they could have been desperate to sell. They could have had to sell. There could have been 
cash, you know, under the table. It's not recorded. It could have been, you know, who knows what the situation is with that. So it's also important to note that the reason we're having these discussions is because if you if you approach the sale of your home from the get go in the wrong fashion and you overprice it because you've taken bad advice from somebody uh, who either just wanted to get the listing or whatever the case is, or you yourself have emotional attachments to that house that inherently make you feel like the house is worth more money. Um, you know, what happens when a house is, when you hit the market severely overpriced, I guess is the big question, right? Paul answer. You don't get anything. <laughs> you don't get, anything, don't but get then, anything. But then what happens, right? So you hit the market overpriced. You're collecting days on market. Buyers are starting to look at you, look at your home as being something that maybe has something wrong with it, right? The the worst thing that you could see, uh, it, it, okay, from the shoes of a buyer. If I'm a buyer and I'm looking at a, a house that's for sale and it's been on market for say, two hundred and forty days, okay. When I see that 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 property as being on the market for that long, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, that that property has something wrong with it, uh, and it's been seen by plenty of people already. Why hasn't it been bought? Maybe the seller is unrealistic about the price. Or third, if they see, you know, multiple significant reductions in that price over the course of that period of time, and now you're chasing the market down the buyer may be the only buyer you're dealing with and they may know that so then you know they've they've got you in a position where they have all the leverage because they're the only one at the table actually making offers and then they could start making demands and then you might end up selling the house for something that you don't even want to sell it for um so that pre-work i think comes down to you don't want over the you don't want to overprice the house I think to have to have this conversation, we need to give a little bit of a history lesson. I feel like, right? So, it's it's a gener it's a gen it's a generational conversation. Older generations have a hard time understanding this. I f I feel like the younger generation gets it. The reason is this: the older generation, right? It's not 1996 anymore. 1996, if someone wanted to buy a house, there the internet wasn't wasn't what it is now. They had to go to their local real estate office, say what's for sale. The, the local real estate agent would say, this is what's for sale. Hop in the car. Let's go take a look. All right. So if a house is overpriced, the buyer is still likely to go see it. And then the buyer will say, oh, maybe I'll throw in an offer, you know, and just see. I'll throw in. A, it's over, I think it's overpriced, but I'll throw in a low offer because I saw it and I liked it. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that's not the case. Nowadays, there's the Internet. There's LIPropertySearch.com, Zillow, Trulia, all these sites, the MLS. So what a buyer does is they don't go to the local real estate office. They go online to Zillow and all these sites, and they flip through the pictures. And now they're seeing the house. And they flip through the pictures, and they look at the price. And they go, okay, this house is overpriced compared to the other houses I've already seen. They feel like they've seen it. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go in person. So if, so if it's overpriced, they just go, all right, I'm not even going to go see this house. I'm not even going to investigate it any further. I've already seen it online. It's clearly overpriced. Why am I going to go waste my time in person? Mm -hmm. And they just skip over it. They're so, making assumptions. Exactly. Well, it, it's just the but times have changed. Yeah, it's an accurate assumption. Times have too, changed because of the internet and more information being readily available. People aren't going to come see your house if it's overpriced. They're just going to look on online and go to the next. So you have yep. to realize that that it's it's just a different error in terms of selling real estate, and you can't have the same 
mentality and mindset towards buying and selling that you did 10 years ago. Right. You have to you have to evolve as everything evolves. So the next thing you, I guess you'd have to do is hire a realtor, right? So if you're hiring a realtor and you're vetting a realtor, what's going through your mind when you're trying to figure out who to hire and why to hire them? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing is just we have to have confidence in them, right? I mean, you have to be able to know that, listen, if I'm going to commit, you know, six months or so to getting you to sell my house, I want to make sure that beforehand that, you know, I have a, I have, I'm very confident that you're going to sell my house. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes back to on the realtor side, just being up front from the very beginning. Don't make your, why well, I don't want to make my life any, any harder than it is. You know, like I don't want to, I don't want to tell you something. And then the month from now deal with an angry homeowner and price reductions. Trust me. I, you know, I don't like dealing, I don't like yeah. dealing with that. It's th- not from, fun. Yeah. It's Never not is. fun at all. I don't like dealing with that. It's just gonna, it's just gonna make it harder for They're everybody. hard conversations. No one wants to have a hard conversation. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a bad experience. I mean, people are only doing this. What would you say? One, two times ish ever way, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if I'm a homeowner, I want to make sure I get it right, right? Like, I'm, it's not something that so, oh, if so I So if you up, want to make sure you're getting it right, then what are you doing specifically to figure out if it is the right person? Well, I guess the first thing is, I mean, I think that the only way for you to, I think most homeowners, the only way to really know is talking to a few of them and seeing what each of them are doing. Mm-hmm. Are three of them doing the same thing? And you're like, all right. And then one, you're like, wow, I haven't heard that from anybody. That's kind of, that's new. I haven't heard any of that before. So someone that's basically doing something that's outside of your traditional real estate or you if you meet with five people one of them's got a unique approach and it's the right approach they're the right person typically right um i can tell you from from our personal experience that you know people typically they're looking for a few different things they're looking for someone that has a track record because the track record confirms that they can do it and then they want to know what they're actually going to be doing to get the house sold. Now, I will tell you, we're in strange times with technology because things have changed in a big way. And especially if we if we start to head towards a buyer's market this year, which we think we're heading towards, um, even though the Fed sort of changed its tune a little bit in regards to what they plan on doing moving forward, which is why capital markets have gone back up. Uh also, I think it's relative to the price point. Yeah, so to 100%. say, you, you don't want to make a blanket statement, say it's going to be a buyer's market, it's going to be a seller's market. There's a difference in the mm-hmm. $300,000 price range and the $3 million price range. Yeah, I mean, so. yes, 100%. And every every Nassau County is different than Suffolk County and, yeah. and the whole deal. But I think if your realtor is with the times, now with the times, I mean – are they marketing your property where everybody's attention is today, right? So years ago, everybody's attention was on the New York Times or television, or there was a time when radio dominated everybody's attention, right? You know, 60 years ago, but it did. Today, all of those old forms of entertainment or where people spend most of their attention is is for the most part gone. Uh and major corporations, small businesses, they're shifting their dollars to apps on the cell phone, right? And if your agent doesn't have a digital approach in today's world to selling your home, 
if your home is anything outside of cookie cutter, you're going to have a very hard time selling it. Even cookie cutter because there's – how are you going to make your home stand out versus all the other homes that are cookie cutter? The, but That's the bottom true too. line is you You're have not going to get a premium for your yeah, cookie cutter. The, the bottom line is you have to – the best thing to do is interview agents, interview multiple agents, right? You're, you're hiring someone to do a job for you. That job is sell a house worth at least here on Long Island, at least a few hundred thousand dollars, if not much, much more. Why would you – why would you do yourself a disservice? Take the time to interview agents. That accomplishes two things. One, it accomplishes the first one, which is educate yourself on the market. You can ask them about the market. And two, it accomplishes the second one, which is how do you choose the right agent? Well, after you interview three, right, you'll start to see, okay, I, I see what I, I see. I, I see what this one I like with from this one. I don't like from this one. You know, this person presents themselves well. They're, mm-hmm. they're informative. They know what they're doing. They have a nice marketing strategy. It, it just doesn't make sense when you're dealing with so much that much money and such a large asset to not interview multiple agents and talk to them. Yep. Yep. I mean, uh, the way I think of it is it's think of God forbid you had to go get surgery. You could go to two doctors, one doctor that's been doing it for 50 years, but his, his, the, his, the way he does his procedure, the way he goes about it is antiquated and old. The new guy been doing it 10 years, but, He's using minimally invasive technology. He's getting in there and getting out of there in shorter times. You're going to go home sooner, blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing with real estate. Yeah, it's like a doctor. Like, I've been doing this for 30 years. I, per- I perfected this technique in the 90s, and I've been doing it ever since. It's, that sounds really good. It sounds really comforting, right? And then you talk to someone who's maybe only been doing it for five years, but they say, yeah, you know, like in the 90s, like Zach, medical equipment was nothing like remember, what it is today. Remember what Zach Morris's cell phone looked like yeah, in the 90s? Yeah, it's like, you know what, it's God, like right? things have advanced yeah. pretty substantially where if, they, if they're still doing that, you might want to look into just some newer technology. It really enables a professional, right, a doctor to do things better. Yeah. What do you guys think about getting uh, your house appraised before you bring it to market? I don't like it. You don't like it? Nah, I mean, an appraiser... And so an appraiser just, I mean, they appraisers do a great job, but the job is to not, they work for the bank and it's just from a different, a different mindset. I mean, I guess if you want to like find an appraiser and ask them, Hey, based on, based on like your professional, uh, you know, your, just your professional occupation, what do you think this could sell for? That's one thing, mm-hmm. but to get the price of the house, I mean, you'll find most houses appraise for the sale price. In today's market, because we're chasing a market up. Yeah, like the ha- the house sells, and then the appraiser comes in, and it appraises for the sale price. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't see a point. I, I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste of time. Okay. Why? What How do you about think? A, you like that? I don't know. I I think, I think that if you're, I think, what about this? What if you used it as a sales tactic? What if someone turned around and said to you, "Hey, Mike, I really like you. I want I want you to be the guy that represents me in this transaction. But you think my house is worth a hundred thousand dollars less than I think my house is worth." I think it I think it depends. I so I think that I think it's hard because if I'm if I have a two million dollar house and mm-hmm. I have appraiser comes in and says, Yeah, it's worth about one point eight million dollars, I don't know, something like that. And a realtor comes in and says, Yeah, I think you're gonna get around, you know, a million six fifty ish, maybe a million seven. And you tell him, Well, it was appraised for one point eight. Well, listen, I mean it, you could have that appraisal all you want, but if someone comes in and people are only going to buy it for 1.6, the appraisal the appraisal means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't make a difference. That I think it, I think you could use it to your advantage, but to your point, Paul, I 
we're about to put something uh, there's not really much we could talk about with this but we're about to put something in the city into contract for almost a million dollars less than it appraised for like 12 to 18 months ago well the market's different than it was 12 to 18 months <laughs> yes ago. but that's my point so uh, maybe you well the question would be what is it appraised for now what do you mean it's appraising for a million dollars, almost a million dollars. Oh, what would it appraise for today? Yeah, if it got appraised today, yeah, what would yeah, the appraisal yeah. price be? So, yeah, I guess you're right. But maybe you could use it to set the right expectations with a seller. I, You know what? I like So, I like essentially the question is what's the difference between an appraiser giving you a, a price and a, and a real estate agent giving you a price? They're going to do the same thing. Th- there's but- kind of no difference. They're both, they're both in the industry. They're both dealing with it every day. They kind of know what's selling and at what price. For me, the difference is the, the, a real estate agent is that they, one, they're working with buyers more. So they mm-hmm. know what buyers are looking at. So they could say, you know, while an appraiser gives a straight price, the real estate agent can maybe identify a few things that the house does or doesn't have that a buyer would love or not like that could really shift it. And the other thing is that is a real estate agent's a salesperson. So while the appraiser is just thinking like, you know, straight numbers and Excel sheets, I think a real estate agent could say, listen, this is the market price, but I, but I could sell this. Well, you know what? This is going to kill us. You got to take care of that. And can an appraiser do that? Yes, I guess. But but the reason I'm having trouble with this is because they don't do that. That's not their job. What do you think about a home inspection before you list your house for sale? That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's a great idea. Well, you should have you should have an idea of of any issues or you know things that are that are wrong with your house before you list. So at being a if you're a responsible homeowner, you should just have a general idea of that you should know. So you probably don't need a home inspection, but if you're not sure, you should get one because the last thing you want is want to put your house up on the market. It's on the market for three months. You finally get an accepted offer, and then an inspector comes in and says, "Well, if something wrong with the foundation or this or that," and now it's a huge problem. Now you got to what? Well, put we've it back. had people that they found termites. They didn't know that termites were there. We've had inspectors make big deals out of buried oil tanks and well those are big deals i think you right? can use it even just as like just getting a checkup i mean it's, even mm-hmm. if you're not listing your home i think that's a great way to explain you it know it's just like uh look let me see what's going on because you you don't have any you don't really know you're not checking your house like an yeah. inspector check especially your house. someone who's not you know mechanically inclined and yeah. works with their yeah. hands and and it, it's only a few hundred bucks and yeah. you want to do it it goes, once a year, once every other year. Yeah, you know, it's an investment. It goes back to what, what I always say is that it's, it's your largest, it's probably your largest assets worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Don't get cheap on the five hundred dollar home inspection. You know, do it because it's a checkup for your house. Or do it because it can help you net more money in the end. When you start, don't don't pinch pennies on hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's 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 worthwhile in the whole transaction to make sure that you're getting the most you can and that you don't end up in a situation that that is not a good one. So what do you think about determining what upgrades to make and what upgrades not to make? That's when you talk to an agent. Or what fixes, what things to replace along the way before yeah. you decide to get it up on the market. What things add? What Have you ever seen, seen a situation before where – like I'll give you an example. We've had a listing – we've had listings before where we've had conversations with sellers who their house was very dark. And sometimes something as simple as taking a dark paint color and shifting to a lighter paint color and changing the lights from the old lights to an LED light mm-hmm. that's brighter 
and delivers more lumens or whatever they call that, that, that could change the whole feel of a house. I mean, even the first thing I did when I moved into my house was change light bulbs. The light bulbs were dark. You felt like you were in a cave to yeah. a certain degree. Um, so little things like that that don't cost a lot of money can yield a huge return in the end. But, I mean, like renovating a kitchen before a sale or a bathroom, I mean, you're probably going to do it to different taste than the person who's buying it. So why would you do it? Just account for it in the price. What do you think? I agree. I, I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't really change anything. I mean, you, a lot of people think the first thing before they list their house, oh, I got to update my kitchen. <laughs> like, well, yeah. you should wait first because you may spend $20,000 upgrading your kitchen, but you, you may not even make any more money on the house anyway. No, so. you might, yeah, you might lose it, to be it, honest with you. The, the timing of it within the, the just the, ec- the economic cycle is important too. So if it's 2010 and while the market's going up and rates are super low and you know everything's looking great, then then yeah, update the kitchen, right? Well, mm-hmm. one, speak to, a, speak to an agent who knows what buyers are looking for and, say, and they can say, listen, this is what a lot of buyers are looking for. Then you can update the kitchen because it'll take you three months to, to do that update. And the market's appreciating anyway. The market's going up and you could sell it for more. We're in a market now where it's a lot of economic uncertainty. Rates are going up, although now it's, you know, we're not sure we're going to raise rates. But why are you not sure you're going to raise rates? Because you're concerned about the economy, yeah, right? So, the market went nuts. so now you're going to wait. Th- you're going to do a renovation. It's going to take three months. And in all reality, in three months, there'll be more houses on the market, so more competition among sellers. The the economy could be even shakier, so housing prices could could go down more. It just it just doesn't make sense in this current market to do a renovation. What makes sense in this market is what you said, Ron. Clean the house up, make it a nice appearance, make sure the light bulbs are nice and bright, right? And then the house mm-hmm. isn't dark. Little things like that that you can do quickly that are going to make it look nicer. That makes sense in in this current market. But big what do you things, think about curb appeal, cleaning up the property? Yeah, huge. It's easy, deal. it's cheap, it's quick. That makes sense. Uh-huh. May, I, when a buyer walks into a house and they feel like they're buying something that was slopped together quickly is is not done to the caliber that they would take care of their own stuff, and the property passed a lot of hands, meaning a lot, it was sold and bought a lot, there's an uncomfortable feeling about buying that because you know you're you're in for a lot of surprises. Mm-hmm. When you buy something that has maybe had one or two owners or is brand new or and you know that that person that you bought it from took care of it and you could tell immediately when you look at it and how it was all kept. There's a different level of comfort and I think that if your buyers have a higher level of comfort they're more likely to be able to to be willing to open their wallet and spend more money. Yeah. Right? I'm, yeah, think of it like a used car, right? You buy a used car and and one guy's got well one it's certified pre-owned. So then you got the dealership, right? They've had it detailed, the car looks mint. They're saying it's certified pre-owned. We've checked it out. You feel really comfortable. Like, "All right, I'll pay more for this car." Then you can have someone selling it themselves and they can have all the records. The car could be clean. This is all my oil changes. Again, you feel comfortable. Like, all right, I'll pay some more for this car. Then you got a guy that 
the car's a mess. It clearly hasn't had a car wash. He's like, yeah, I don't know when I had the last oil change, right? <laughs> You're like, well, who the hell knows what could be wrong yeah, with this thing? Yeah, thing's about to explode it's the on same a 495. Thing with a house. Yeah, someone who, <laughs> someone who takes care of it, who the house is clean, right? They just little things. Yeah, yeah. You're going to feel more comfortable. I totally agree. Totally agree. So then now, you, taking photos as a, as a homeowner, our advice for photography and videography and and how you plan to present the actual home in the listing and in the marketing i this is where i this is where i get very finicky because i'm a very detail-oriented guy if i mean we've seen photos taken on on flip phones and posted on the mls iPhones posted on the MLS and, or as a for sale by owner, a lot of people think, oh, it's, you know, I'll just sell the house. I'll take pictures with my iPhone and post it on, you know, Zillow. And the best is Paul, Paul's called me over to his desk before and like, check this out. And there's a house listed for sale. And, and literally the agent took a picture with their cell phone and it's a picture of the bathroom. And then in the bathroom <laughs> mirror is the agent with the cell phone. It's like, what the hell? This, yeah. this guy's selling your house for $600,000 and that's the yep. picture he takes and you and you you allow that? You're okay with that? Yeah, yeah. It's insane. It's, it's out of control. So when when you and your agent are compiling the the content to bring to market, you know, Paul, tell me the things that that you find to be most necessary in regards to how how the photography and the videography and all that stuff so what do you mean like so it, again what's most necessary or do you want the guy who's bringing a professional photography crew and and video well, yeah absolutely it? yeah correct so you're going to go in there with a professional photography company they're going to get the perfect photos then there's a post editing situation where right. they bring those photos into lightroom they change the colors a little bit they make it pop a little bit more and they do the same thing with the video editing. Now that takes time and money. Every t- typically on a house. Now it all depends on the house. For us to go in and do what we do before we even start deploying the marketing, it, it, it could get as expensive as over, a little over a thousand dollars per house that we list if it, if the house calls for it. So do you want to do you want to take that guy to market, or do you want the guy who's taking flip phone pictures no, you know, no, clearly, yeah right and what kind of w- w- in our digital world today how does that good content help drive awareness of a listing i think it's uh, it, it, people especially the young the the incoming generation when someone's looking for a house they're shopping for a house like it, it sounds mm-hmm. stupid but it's very simple if you if you're looking for clothes how do you look for t-shirts now do you drive to the mall go into every single store and look at no you go online and you go to the stores that you want you look at them and you look at the prices and you're like oh this is good this fits on him well okay this is a good price i'll buy it yeah right i don't want to spend 10 hours shopping for a t-shirt i don't want to spend six months looking for a house and but when you're at home on zillow and you're flipping through every listing on the map view okay like most of these buyers do it's almost like looking into a sea. Uh, it's almost like looking into a used car lot, and every single car is covered in mud, right? And the listings that are done right by the realtors that have the money to spend on it, occasionally, 
while you're flying over that car lot and you're looking at all these cars, you see a red, clean, waxed Porsche. And that's the difference. So you have a sea of listings. And all the listings kind of look okay. And then there's the cream that rises to the crop. It's the Porsche. It's that red Porsche. That's what a good realtor is going to deliver when marketing your property. Yeah. And I think it just goes, and it, which is the biggest factor that goes back to, is, is the price. Like, I mean, you have to be, it's the hard, it's probably the hardest thing to do as a homeowner, but, but realistically pricing your house. I mean, it. you see it all the time. I mean, new products come out that, oh, it's new, 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 mm-hmm. and then. And it doesn't sell, and you and you get uh, that update fifty percent off, fifty percent off, and then you're like, well, well, obviously nobody liked this because, because they're yeah. they're just getting rid of it now. Yeah. That's what it looks like if you overprice your house and you massively just cut cut the price in half. It looks like there's something, something yeah. that didn't that didn't fit right. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, sometimes it is, but in the end, it, it comes down to, you know, as a sell, as a seller, you have to sort of emotionally remove yourself from the home, especially here on Long Island where it's an end user market. And a lot of people raise their kids there. It's, it's where they took their kids home. I mean, I still have like a certain emotional attachment to my old house that I haven't been in for, I think, two years now. And, you know, I, I think back to that house and there's memories there of taking my daughter home and, and my son and, and all that stuff. So you actually, I mean, us as realtors, we have a very difficult job kind of separating that for a seller and kind of bringing them into reality. But that's uh it's an interesting thing that's why if let me ask you if so if you go on, we're on long island so you know typical commission a homeowner pays out is usually like four something like five percent right i'd say average is five okay so if now what we do we do stuff that i believe that no other people do so when we go on a listing appointment do you we don't say to homeowners yeah we charge nine percent because we're different and we think we're better <laughs> No. No, because they're going to say, okay, we'll go with somebody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the same thing. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pay $500,000, $200,000, $50,000 more for a house because you think it's different. Yeah. It's not different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. In the end, everybody's, it's a market, right? And, and especially on Long Island, there's a lot of neighborhoods that were literally built exactly the same. There's plenty of places you could go to on Long Island and look down a block and know that the same builder built every single house on yeah. that block. And they're all the same. So it's not hard to, to know what your house is worth. Uh, fielding offers. So now your agent listed the house. You're fielding offers from people. What are a few different things that you look at in regards to what is important in regards to the offer? Is 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 the highest offer the best offer? Is sometimes the lower offer with better terms more important? Or is the offer that's all cash better than the one that's that's not i mean what what do you look at in regards to what are some factors that that really can blow the doors off of a good offer from a bad offer the i mean obviously the first thing is is the purchase price that's that's obvious everyone looks at all right what's the purchase price the first thing's the purchase price but other other important things to consider are how much they're putting down versus how much they're mm-hmm. financing so are they putting 20% down and getting mortgage for the remaining 80%? Are they putting 10% down, getting mortgage for the remaining 90%? That's important. 
how much cash they're putting down on contract is important. So when they sign the contracts, how much are they putting down? They're putting down 10,000, 20,000. Some people, I mean, I, I always advocate for, for my clients that I'm selling a house for is the, the buyer should put 10% down on contract. If they're serious about buying the house and they can afford the house and they plan on buying it, put 10% down on contract, mm -hmm. right? If a buyer puts nothing down on contract, well, what's holding them to that contract? At any point they could walk away. So how much down on contract is important? Um, and then, if, the, if you have multiple buyers and you can start removing those contingencies, then you're really in a good position where you could say, okay, you're going to put 10% down at contract, but it's non-refundable. Yeah. If you don't close, if you could start removing those t contingencies, that's the person you go with. But time, tell me about time. Other important, so time regarding time, a couple important factors. One is how long in the contract, how long is do they have to get their mortgage commitment? Because getting a, getting a pre-approval or pre-qualification for a mortgage does not mean you get your mortgage. So how long to get your mortgage commitment? Can they sign the contract and get the mortgage commitment within 90 days? I mean, that's crazy. So now they, you could just be hanging, your house could be hanging out there in contract for 90 days waiting for just the bank to actually commit to giving that person a mortgage. Mm -hmm. So how long they're going to get their mortgage commitment in is important. How long they want to close in. If you go into contract in January and they put an on about close date of September, I mean, yeah, well, we had that. That's nine months from now. We, we had we had that with the property that just recently closed on Victoria. Uh, the we had two buyers at the table, one who wanted to close within two months. They were actually trying to rush to close, and then we had another guy who came in and said, uh, "You know, I'm willing to let you stay in there for a little while. I still have to sell my house." Um, and I probably won't close till like October 1st. And yeah. the fucking deal, excuse my French, the, the deal did not go well. Well, listen, sometimes it it's closed, good. but yeah. the guy was doing everything he could to get out of the deal. Well, that's why cash on cash down on contracts is important. And listen, mm -hmm. sometimes you want buyers that are flexible on closing. I'm selling a house right now for friends that they, they have two little kids. They need. They have to. They want to sell their house. Then want to buy a different one. But they have to sell first, and they have to find a new house. So for them, having a buyer that's actually willing to extend the contract period and close further out is preferable to them. So it's. It, it, there's no hard and fast rules of what you want, but these are all factors that you need to take into consideration mm -hmm. when you're considering an offer and which offer is best for you and your situation. Mm -hmm. Paul, anything to add? Yeah, I think I, you pretty much said everything I would say. I mean, it depends on the situation homeowners in. I mean, how but, fast they want to get out, how fast they don't. Yeah, want to get I out. think any anything that you can do to just minimize risk. I don't want to. I want to lower the. I want the least amount of risk as possible that this is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, look at someone. If somebody went in contract four months ago and their deal fell out last month, then probably not getting that price that they had the house in for contract four months ago. Mm -hmm. So you better make sure if you're going to go in and you're going to take it off, you're pretty confident it's going to go through. Cool. What about, Paul, what about all cash? When these people come in, all cash, all cash, what, what does that mean to you? Does it mean anything? I think that all cash, it 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 again, it does. I mean, I, like you said, the first thing is the purchase price. If the house is a million dollars and they say, We'll give you six hundred, but it's all cash. Well, no, I don't care because that all cash is not worth four four hundred thousand dollars to me. But if you came in at, you know, if, at nine fifty, and I'm guaranteed it's going to close, well, then yeah, maybe I'll take the nine fifty. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. very good. So, to surmise, you know, certain things to to get your house listed and get a better price for it. Um, number one, understanding the market. 
Number two, avoid overpricing your house. You don't want to be chasing the market down. Days on market hurts. Make sure you hire the right realtor. Uh, the realtor you hire is the one that's going to be representing you throughout the transaction and marketing your home, which is arguably the most integral part of the process. Uh, hire an attorney. We didn't even we, we didn't discuss that. Attorney is important too, right? You want to hire a real estate attorney. You do not want to be hiring an attorney who's doing divorce court, <laughs> right? Divorce yeah. law, and then now they're starting to represent you on real estate transactions. It's <laughs> about like Paul said. It's about minimizing risk. You could have a lot of people could have a friend who's an attorney or something, or just hire like a general attorney, and, and it can go fine. But you want to minimize risk, and if there if there happens to be something in that contract or with that house, and you don't have a real estate attorney, and the other party has a real estate attorney, they could that your attorney can get picked apart because the real estate attorney yep. deals specifically with that, and that's nothing against your attorney. It's the same as anything in life. It's it's if I if I'm not an accountant, if I try and you know do the books for someone versus an actual accountant doing them, it's just not going to be as good. It's the same thing as a doctor. There is there are neurosurgeons. There are cardiothoracic surgeons there are yeah like you're not going to let a neurosurgeon operate on your heart you're not going to let a cardiac surgeon operate <laughs> on your brain they wouldn't know what to do and it's the same exactly. exact thing same with attorneys plus uh, the other thing is I've seen divorce attorneys offer to handle someone's real estate transaction because divorces usually end up in a sale mm -hmm. of their real estate transaction and instead of charging a fixed rate which is what most real estate attorneys do which is anywhere from like fifteen to $2,500 for a transaction they were they were billing the client hourly for the real estate stuff. So God knows what they paid on that to, to get the house sold. Mm -hmm. um, the home inspection, I like. The appraisal, you guys don't. I don't know. I'm unsure about that. I don't know if it's good or bad. I do like tweaking the house a little bit. The paint, the, the brighter lights, the little tweaks, but don't break the bank. Don't start spending money that, that you, you're going to spend expecting to get it back because there's a good chance you won't, especially in a market where interest rates are going up. Uh, make sure you're you're generating proper content from photography to videography to floor plans and you're distributing it in the places where people's attention are, which is on the phone today and not uh, in other places. Um, Depersonalize, declutter, detach, you know, put... Put a little bit of effort into cleaning the house and the property. Uh, manage it through to close. Make sure you, you choose the, the right buyer to, to minimize risk, and you should be on your way. Um, anyone else have anything to add? Hire a moving company. <laughs> Joe, that's actually a great point. I tried moving my house. I rented a U-Haul truck with my little cousin and said, you know what? I'm a stud. Go to the gym five days a week. You know, I'm going to move my house. That did not work out well. No. I literally, I think I hyperextended my knee and was in pain for a month and a half after the fact. <laughs> if, and, it's, if it's three grand, it's worth it. You don't realize. Yeah. I mean, like every little draw, you got to unpack. You got to carry everything in and out. It's such a, it's such a nightmare. Again, you're just you're selling your house for hundreds of thousands. Just just pay the money and hire a moving company. Uh, yeah, it's worth the convenience. When you me. use professionals, you are happier, and they do a better job. And uh -huh. then you could, you could have time to do what you want to do <laughs> or work, enjoy yep. yourself, whatever it is. So let's do some current events. Uh, interesting stuff here. First, the most expensive property, residential, residential, the most expensive residential property in America, um, was sold. 
at a price of $238 million. The buyer is Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin is a hedge funder. He runs Citadel. Right? Yes, Citadel. Citadel. Um, it's 23,000 square feet, a quadplex encompassing the 50th through the 53rd floors of a limestone tower developed by Vernado Realty Trust and, de- and designed by Robert A. St- a. M. Stern. Um, it's 220 Central Park South. Is that insane or what? I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. You think you think it's insane, but then so this got me this got me on the, <laughs> on the Google and I was doing some stuff. So I found I came across the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Mm-hmm. So Bloom, Bloomberg, you know, like Bloomberg.com has um, a billionaires index where it has all the billionaires, and it has how much they're worth, and it has how much they've like the most recent change in how much how much they're worth and how much they've made year to date. So you think it's crazy, and then I saw this guy Ken Griffin year to date made something like. It's meanwhile. It's January twenty fifth. Hasn't even been a month yep, of yep. two thousand nineteen, and the guy's made like eight hundred and something million dollars. <laughs> Not bad. So literally, he took like he he basically took like one week's pay <laughs> and bought a place. So like when you think about it like that, it's not that crazy. Love it. Love Which it. brings up something else is that there is there is a, a wealth gap problem in this yes. country. Yes. Yes. So there's actually a discussion about this that residential brokers are talking about specifically in Manhattan. And by the way, the the record for the most expensive property in Manhattan sold prior to this was $100.5 million by Michael Dell, uh, who bought um, the penthouse at 157, which is like right there too. They both have Central Park views. They're just different super tolls on Billionaire's Row. But you're right, there's a wealth gap. And the, the, the talk is, is are the, the question is, is, is this a one-off insane purchase or is this going to become more commonplace? I mean, as the rich get richer, right? So this guy, you can look, so I don't remember more, but like Jeff Bezos, richest person in the world on the billionaires index worth like 130 billion. He's made like, he's made year to date, $4 billion. This guy's made $800 million year to date. So, so in, in, in less than a month's time, these guys are accumulating that much wealth. Their wealth is going up exponentially every single year. And just think of your average American. That's not happening. So, so the the money's just they've 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 created these businesses where the money's being funneled to them exponentially more and more. So as these guys get more money, I mean, it's either they're either going to do more philanthropy or they're going to spend it more. Well, they got to put it somewhere. So yeah. They, so, so they're they either buy, buying they buy stuff, property. they're doing philanthropy, but yeah. they don't they don't even know what to do with all their money. So it's I think it's definitely going to continue. Um, the issue is, what do you do about the problem of of the wealth gap? I mean, that's that's the real issue. I mean. It's I don't know I don't know what the answer is I mean obviously socialism's nope. not the answer but the answer is get rich figure yeah, out a way go. to get rich get it's, rich and you don't got to worry about yeah, it yeah we actually met with someone recently who their opinion was that and what they were doing very they come from a wealthy family um, they were discussing investing in in trailer parks as being like the next best thing because they feel like the the wealth gap is going to get so big and the, there's a very 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 small percentage of the population that actually harbors all the wealth in this country and the majority still need a place to live and it's going to be trailer parks so they're buying so there you go you're either buying 200 million dollar penthouses you're (laughs) living in a 200 million dollar penthouse you're living in a trailer park i mean that's you know that's obviously an extreme view of it but it's a it's a nice 
aerial view of the whole situation. Yeah. Purple bricks. Uh, they're changing their model. Uh, they're 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 still charging flat fees, but they're going by market. Mike, what do you think about this whole situation here? Listen, Pert. All right, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. Purple bricks doesn't work. So they so they changed their model. They used to charge you an upfront fee, three grand to sell your house, mm-hmm. and now they've changed their model. And they're and they're they're saying it. They're trying to spin it. Oh, we're, we're taking a more traditional approach. We'll charge charge you once you sell once we sell your house. Well, why they change that? Why did they change their model? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, because they were charging people up front and the houses weren't selling. So <laughs> people are getting pissed off. Like, I just paid you three grand and my house didn't sell. Yeah. The other thing is, right? So there's agents. I think it's like 140 agents working for Purple Bricks right now. Uh-huh. So if you're an agent, I could go work for Purple Bricks, mm-hmm. where in Queens, they'll charge you a flat rate. If you have a property in Queens, they'll charge you a flat rate of $6,000 after your house sells. All right. So if I'm the agent, I, I don't know what I do for Purple Bricks, but I, the house sells, I make $6,000 right. at the end. Purple Bricks gets their cut versus uh, versus you're a real agent right. and you get a 6% commission at the end of that sale. You're making twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, whatever it is. Who Who's the better agent? Who's the better agent, right? Who Who's the better salesperson? Who's going to do a better job? The mm. person that's making more money and the person that's making less money. Obviously, the person. If you're good at your job and you're smart and you can do it, why Why are you going to settle for purple brick six grand? Exactly. I just don't get. I, I don't get the. I would love to. Ask, I would love to know somebody who used it so I could ask them. Well, you know what it probably is. It, they They look at it like it's a free lead. It's 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 they agents sign who, up and they and they get leads. It's people who don't understand the business who think, oh, I I, I can't get a job. No one will hire me. I have. I bad can't go resume. out. And, I can't go out and get a listing. I'll pay a hundred bucks. Take my real estate course. I'll go pay. I'll go pass some state exam. That's not that hard. And I'll and I'll make money. But yeah, if you're but you're hiring garbage. If you're a homeowner though, what would and you're sitting there like oh, I'm gonna sell my house. You know I've seen a couple of commercial purple bricks. I'm gonna use them. Why why though? Like what what are they? They're not. They're not. Because you my haven't. Knowledge, you not. haven't done step one. You haven't educated yourself. Yeah. That's step one. That's it. That's educate it. yourself. Because you might as well just list it on your own. Then I mean, you're yeah. not. I don't think they're doing anything other than just putting it up for sale on MLS and Zillow and whatnot. Yeah. They're not doing anything. No, it so doesn't make any sense. So the next article talks about Florida residential brokers and developers chasing New York buyers who are affected by the New York State tax law. So we've talked about this before on the podcast. The salt deductions. Um, in New York, which don't allow people to deduct uh, more than $10,000. And we all know that we live in a very highly taxed area, right? So there's there's reports that a lot of people are starting to look at Florida very seriously because there's no state income tax. Uh, and weather's nicer, call it what you want. But this article talks about how uh, in a report uh, by Bloomberg found that under the new law with taxes, a New Yorker with ten with ten million dollars in ordinary income and a ten million dollar home could have saved about one point two million dollars in total taxes by moving to Florida at the start of last year. So save twelve percent. Yeah, man. Yeah. The economists at the Conservative Heritage Foundation predicted that New York and California alone could lose eight hundred thousand residents to tax related migration over three years, according to Bloomberg. Um, but there's also contrarian views that, uh, they found that modest tax changes have very small effects on millionaires decision and decisions to relocate. Now, $1.2 million isn't really a modest decision. If you ask me, I mean, that's pretty good reason to go. Uh, 
I think we're going to see, I think unless that salt deduction gets reversed, we're going to see a lot of people change their primary residence to Florida. I think it's going to, I feel like it's going to have, something's going to have to be changed at some point. Has to be, right? If you're on the North Shore in Long Island and, you know, like uh, in, in a house that's, I don't even, I guess you could say, what, 30000 or more in taxes? Yep. Especially if you go double that, it is, if you go double that, it's like almost impossible to sell your house unless yep. you're going to just fire sell the price of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless, because there's no, unless someone really wants to actually live there with their family, there's no reason for somebody to buy a house there anymore. Yeah. So listen to this. So uh, Inman used realtor.com. This is another article that I'm looking at. It's, a, it's the city slated to have the hottest housing markets in 2019. It says, uh, Inman used Realtor.com's housing market data to list the 10 hottest housing markets in 2019, with the majority of the list comprised of smaller markets where local economic factors are playing a big role in the housing market. The biggest cities to make the list include Miami, Boston, and Phoenix. Topping the list is Lakeland, Florida, a suburb of Tampa, where a 2.3% increase in employment and nearly 5% increase in household income is expected to buoy the housing market, according to Inman. So... Hottest housing markets, why? Because population growth is is so big in those places, probably from migrating northeasterners. It's capitalism. I mean, the states have to, it's it's the same thing as, it, there's no monopoly. That's what makes yep. them, part of what makes America so great. It's not like, it's not like there's, you know, it's it's not like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know France, but France, there's so many different states in the United States and they're competing against you. They're competing, they're competing to gain revenues and the revenues is the, what, what it's that state's occupants bring in so it's a good thing it 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 helps keep america you know at the top of and and what america keeps america what it is and and states will have to compete so new york will have to come up with something california will have to come up with something otherwise their revenues are going to go down because residents are going to move out and ultimately that hurts the state but uh-huh. for the country it's a good thing uh-huh. so listen to this in manhattan more than twenty thousand new apartments are coming to the market this year and the market's not doing well because there's a glut of inventory in it. So New York will see more than 20,000 new apartments open their doors in 2019, and only a small amount are likely to find buyers or renters by the end of this year. Uh, most of the new units will be in luxury towers, and it will take more than six years to sell all of the new development in Manhattan alone. It's crazy. It's going to be a buyer's market. If you have money, there's going to be deals on the table. That's for for shit sure. It says the pace of sales has already slowed down leading up to the new year with homes asking four million or more taking 447 days on average to go into contract in 2018 compared to 172 days in 2013. So we are headed for a buy New York City specifically outside of the Federal Reserve and interest rates and all that stuff. They're just the developers are just they're they're killing it. They're they're overdeveloping to a point where they're driving the prices of everything down. I mean, someone's got to just stop. <laughs> stop. I don't building. know if it ever will. I mean, right? I mean, that's the only way to do it is just stop building, let it absorb. It'll never happen. I know, but so what? Everything goes. Everything gets now becomes a discounted market. I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. I don't have an answer for that. I wish I had a crystal ball. So the Fed rate. So, okay. Something we got kind of touched on earlier in the podcast that is very important. The Fed was hiking rates once a quarter up until this year. 
and their outlook going into this year was that they had planned on hiking at the same with the same aggression. In the fourth, third, fourth quarter of last year, the the markets, the stock market, took a giant dump because they were hiking rates. And the reality of the situation is, is they've come out since and kind of expressed more of uh, a conservative approach to hiking interest rates, which I think is going to do a lot of good for the real estate markets. Um, I think people's houses uh, with this new approach aren't going to lose as much value. I think they're still going to lose a little bit of value because interest rates are significantly higher in the past year and a half than they were a year and a half ago. Um, but you're still going to be able to get a reasonably good price. If they were to keep going and hiking rates the, at, to the, at the same pace that they were, I think we would have ended up with a serious problem. But um, I think it goes back to the price range again. I think anything under five hundred fifty, six hundred thousand dollars, it's, yeah. it's going to be a strong market. Even like six fifty. Once you start getting over that, I, I think it's going to start. It's going to slowly, as you as you go up in price, become more and more of a buyer's market, mm-hmm. and become more and more of if you're a seller, a weaker market. But there'll be there'll be better buying opportunities there for buyers. No, it says federal policymakers have indicated that there will be. One to two adjustments this year. In September, they were much more aggressive about what would happen in 2019. They have pulled back the pace of interest rate changes in the coming year. So that's very positive for borrowing, you know, stocks like Home Depot and, and builder stocks and all that good stuff. And Which have rebounded significantly since, since mm-hmm. the fourth quarter of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to Manhattan. So... We've got a few articles here. Basically, the theme is all the same about the luxury home market taking a hit, which, Mike, to your point earlier in regards to the higher price points being more difficult to sell these days. Uh, it's 100% correct. You're, you're on the money with that. But other than that, that's really we – have, we have an article here about the government shutdown, but Trump just turned it back on. <laughs> it said that uh, For three weeks. Yeah, for three weeks. But it says that the, the government shutdown was actually – kind of a problem for a lot of people across the country because a lot of federal employees were in contract or were looking to buy something as the shutdown happened. And then all of a sudden, if you know, think about if you're a bank and you're lending to someone who's in the public service and the government shutdown comes and they can't, they're not getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. You're going to give them the loan. Probably not. So, uh, that's pretty much it guys. All I got for you. Another day. Another day. Paul, anything to add? No, I think we touched on some good stuff. Some good stuff. All right, good. Mike, you? Nah, I have fun doing the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, the, the passion lands oh, a lot. Of- oh, fire. Fire. Can we talk about fire for two seconds? Go ahead, quick. This is off topic. This fucking guy, Billy's crazy. <laughs> so we talk, we're talking about documenting on Netflix about fire, the fire, fire festival, which was a big music yes. festival. This is the biggest music festival that never happened. So to make a long story short, this guy, Billy, uh, learned how to raise money, and he threw this festival that he wasn't able to do. But one thing that catches my attention with this guy, Billy, two things. This guy, Billy, and there was another documentary on Donald Trump and his life. Make a long story short, the two things Billy and Donald have in common, they were masters of marketing. This guy, Billy, what he did with social media to drive awareness of fire is basically what we do with houses. 
right? Well, so yes and no. <laughs> this guy, Billy, sold the dream. He created this dream, yes. this vision that he got people to buy into, and he sold the dream. Yes. Now, the, we also sell the dream. The difference is we actually we actually deliver when we sell the dream. <laughs> yes, okay. We're not social like Billy. Billy sold you, you know. But the long the nothing. long and short of it is this guy through each he his ability to know how to work the public with um what do you call it by showing by, by selling them a dream same very similar to Donald Trump and how he protects the fact that he's a millionaire if you t- if you put something in writing that says Donald Trump's not a millionaire he sues you okay and if you there was another documentary on Trump I'll find it for the next podcast and we'll talk about it. But what I noticed about him was he cared more about what the tabloids were saying about him and he would read through the papers every day and his public persona was more important to him than maybe his actual business. Well, per- perception, perception is reality. Yes, perception yeah. is reality. And that was very interesting to me. And I feel like there's a lot of people that kind of exemplify that, that that they're very hyper aware of what the public thinks of them. And they know how to market to those people to sell them a dream. And it, it, it just snowballs into crazy success, but not in Billy's not in Billy's. Well, situation. your reputation's everything. So perception's reality up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point you actually have to be able to deliver or yes. you know, whatever it is. Hundred percent. All right, boys. That's it. We are done. Have a good evening and we will see you next time.